And now, coming to you from an undisclosed location. It's the Novus Ordo Watch Trapcast. You've got to be kidding. You can't make the stuff up. People, listen up. We have found the closest thing to infallibility in this life. If you're not the Pope and still want to be infallible, there is now an easy way to become 99% infallible even as a layman. All you need to do is look at what Mark Shea says and take the opposite viewpoint. That will do it. 99% of the time. More on that in a minute. Welcome. It is Tratcast number 007, and we are loaded with great content for you. So don't even think about not listening. Thanks for joining. Glad you're here. Let's get started. In his great encyclical letter, Satis Cognitum, of June 29, 1896, Pope Leo XIII taught, There can be nothing more dangerous than those heretics who admit nearly the whole cycle of doctrine, and yet by one word, as with a drop of poison, infect the real and simple faith taught by our Lord and handed down by apostolic tradition. Unquote. And in his encyclical letter At Beatissimi of November 1, 1914, Pope Benedict XV stated, quote, Such is the nature of Catholicism, that it does not admit of more or less, but must be held as a whole, or as a whole rejected, unquote. Let's take a moment and examine the question, why is that? Why is it that someone who believes 99 out of 100 dogmas is not a Catholic at all? Why couldn't we say that he is 99% of a Catholic, or more Catholic than those who only believe, say, 75 of 100 dogmas? Why is one not a Catholic at all for denying even just one single dogma? Why this black-and-white, all-or-nothing position? It is very important to answer this question correctly, for the entire Catholic faith depends on it in a way. The reason why you must adhere to all dogmas of the faith to be a Catholic, and why denial of even just one dogma makes you a non-Catholic, is found in the virtue of faith. True faith is the ascent of the mind to what God has revealed because he has revealed it, and he cannot deceive or be deceived. God cannot lie, and he cannot make a mistake or be fooled. So what God reveals to us must be true. But then it follows that everything revealed by God is true, and therefore I must believe exactly that, everything. 
But the only way we can know what God has revealed is through the Catholic Church, because God has communicated that revelation, the deposit of faith, to his church through the apostles. And this revelation ended with the death of the last apostle, St. John the Evangelist, in the early 2nd century. So, the motive for our faith, that is, the reason why we believe what we believe, must be that the God who cannot lie or be deceived has revealed it. But if this is so, then it follows that we cannot pick and choose what we believe, for if we do so, then we are admitting that our motive for believing anything is not the authority of God, who reveals the truth, and who has revealed all dogmas, not just some, but something else. For example, because we find it agreeable, or pleasant, or it seems right to us, or it makes sense to us, or because it's good for business, or whatever. Well, in that case, the motive of our belief is not God at all, but ourselves. We are the reason we believe, not God, not the truth. We are. And when something other than God is the motive for our faith, then we have no faith, no supernatural faith, which is the faith required for salvation. As Hebrews 11.6 says, quote, But without faith it is impossible to please God. Unquote. And so, that is the reason why even denying one single dogma makes us a non-Catholic, a heretic, a person with no faith whatsoever, because by doing so, we are showing that our motive for belief is not God, but ourselves. And so, it makes little difference that we affirm 99 other dogmas of the Church. As long as we deny even one, we are believing the other 99 for the wrong reason. And that reason is that we ourselves have chosen to believe it. So we have no supernatural faith in this case at all, but only human faith, faith in ourselves and not in God. This faith, of course, cannot save because it is not a virtue, and certainly not a supernatural virtue. And that is why such a person is not a Catholic at all. That is why there can be no 95% Catholics and why one cannot be more or less Catholic than another, just like one cannot be more or less pregnant or more or less dead. So, now we understand why Pope Leo XIII said that the worst kind of heretic is the one who admits almost all dogmas and denies only one, as with a drop of poison, and why Pope Benedict XV taught that Catholicism is all or nothing, that it does not admit of more or less, but must be held as a whole, or as a whole, rejected. This is very much a forgotten truth in our times, in which people think that faith and belief are basically nothing more than personal opinions they find acceptable. Wrong. Tradcast. All right, uh, we're going to switch gears now and talk about a matter that will not be suitable for children. So if you have any little ears listening right now, this is the time to ask them to do something else, okay? Because we're going to be talking about Planned Parenthood and the termination of preborn human life. Well, no doubt you've heard about the undercover videos exposing the horrifying deeds of Planned Parenthood. 
which is the top abortion, that is baby butchering, organization in the United States of America. Not only do they, as everyone obviously knew, crush, burn, and dismember preborn children in the womb, all the way up to delivery, they also try to salvage the organs and other parts of the children and sell them. So these undercover videos that have been released by the Center for Medical Progress expose this. They are uh, secretly recorded conversations with abortionists and others, other staff from Planned Parenthood, in which they admit to these things and talk about them in the most sickening fashion. I don't think I have to go on with any more details. We'll simply put a link to further information on our show page at tradcast.org. Now, if there is one layman in the Vatican II Church who can be counted on to say the wrong thing, even in such a scenario, it's the American blogger and loudmouth Mark Shea. That's the same Mark Shea, by the way, who once argued that we should be thrilled that the British singer and sodomy queen Elton John admires Pope Francis, because this means, so Shea thought, that he's moving closer to the gospel. Yeah. (laughs) Well. Anyway, even though Shea is clearly pro-life and most certainly has condemned the atrocities of Planned Parenthood in no uncertain terms, in a recent podcast he made in which he discusses the Planned Parenthood videos at length, the lion's share of his criticism isn't directed at Planned Parenthood, but at the pro-lifers who made the undercover video. Because, you see, they lied to the abortionists. They lied to them about who they were and what they wanted. Now, let me say something here. Catholic teaching is very clear. Lying is always wrong in all circumstances. It cannot be done even to save the life of another. That is true, and Shea is correct in pointing it out. However, we need to also keep in mind, according to Catholic teaching again, that not all false or misleading statements are necessarily lies, and lying is in and of itself only a venial sin. Circumstances can make it a mortal sin, such as when the lie is about a very important matter the listener has the right to know the truth about, or if it causes grave harm, or if it is done under oath, for example. However, in itself, considered just as the deliberate telling of a falsehood, it is venial only. Now, that doesn't mean we can do it. Certainly not. But it does mean that if we do do it, then sanctifying grace in us, insofar as we are in the state of grace, is only diminished and not entirely destroyed we wouldn't even have to go to confession, strictly speaking, all right? Now, I really don't know what the pro-life group that did the undercover videos, the uh, Center for Medical Progress, I don't know what these people exactly did or said in order to be able to do these secret recordings. Because, you see, they, they may actually not have lied necessarily. There's, there's some leeway in Catholic moral theology in such matters, and we'll look at that in greater depth in a moment. 
For one thing, they may have used mental reservations in which nothing is said that is actually untrue, but one deliberately allows the hearer to draw wrong conclusions from what one has said. In addition to that, assuming they did lie, the guilt of a lie is diminished the greater the good that is obtained by it. Although we must insist again that the end does not justify the means. Lying is still not permitted, not even to obtain a great good. So without examining what exactly they said and how they presented themselves and so forth, we must say that most likely they simply lied, right? And so they did something that was not permitted, okay? They sinned. Okay, well, in all likelihood, their lies were venial sins only. Not saying that venial sins aren't a big deal, just saying that if you have two parties at a table and one of them commits a venial sin of lying to expose the fact that the other party burns and cuts babies to pieces and sells them to the highest bidder, then you can bet your bottom dollar I'm not going to be castigating the party that's exposing this for lying to the baby butcher. I'm sorry, but you have to be really messed up in the head. If for such an atrocity, you think the focus should be on the venial sins committed by the pro-lifer against the abortionist who sells baby hands, baby livers, and baby hearts. But Mark Shea doesn't stop there. He even takes issue with the fact that some pro-lifers have called up abortuaries to make fake abortion appointments as part of their investigation. Shea says that by doing this, the pro-lifers are tempting the people at the abortuary to participate in the sin of murder. Now, this is even crazier. These are people working, right, quote-unquote, working at an abortuary, abortion clinic, but I really don't want to call them clinics because they're killing centers. Um, their service, quote-unquote, is abortion, so they've already made up their minds they're going to kill children, and they're there. They're showing up there regardless of whether there is one more person calling to make an appointment or not. Shay's argument that a pro-lifer who makes a fake abortion appointment is leading the abortionists or the nurses or the staff to participate in the sin of murder is absolutely loony. It's like saying that if I buy a bad magazine, I'm leading the seller of the magazine into sin. Well, I'm not, okay? He's already selling it. The only reason I can buy it is because he sells it. And he sells it regardless of whether I show up or not. His store is open, he offers the trash, and I buy it. Sin is in the will, and the seller's will has already committed the sin. Whether I buy it or not is actually quite accidental to the whole business. <sighs> Isn't there some other job out there for Mark Shea? Aren't they looking for someone to plant trees in the Vatican or something? Anyway, we have the Mark Shea audio linked on the Tradcast show page at Tradcast.org, and that is going to be the full 45-minute podcast from the original source, okay? So just to give you the whole thing so nobody can say we, we left something out or only gave you a piece.
Okay, time now to look at the Catholic moral theology applicable here. From the excellent work, Moral Theology, a complete course based on St. Thomas Aquinas and the best modern authorities by Fathers John A. McHugh and Charles J. Callan, both Dominicans, and we'll put a link on the Tradcast show page for this as well, of course. Let me actually preface the following quote by saying that Catholic teaching on the immorality of lying is very nuanced, okay? I can only quote a bit here, uh, and I'll quote the parts that are most applicable to the case we're dealing with. Now, we'll need to briefly define the terms that will be used in this excerpt from this moral theology text, okay? We're going to hear about three different kinds of lies, pernicious lies, officious lies, and Joko's lies. And in addition to that, we're also going to hear about simulation and dissimulation. A pernicious lie is one intended to harm someone. An officious lie is intended to help someone. And a Joko's lie is told to amuse someone in fun. Simulation and dissimulation are a kind of lying not in words, but in actions, okay? So if you, if you pretend, like if you, if you act surprised when you're not surprised or you, you pretend you are afraid or whatever. So with this in mind, let's now have a look at what Fathers McHugh and Callan teach about lying in words and deed. And I'm quoting here from sections 2394, 2395, and 2403, if you'd like to look it up yourself as well. Quote, Lies are aggravated by the purpose to harm, and the greater the harm, the greater the sin. Thus, the worst of all pernicious lies is that which is directed against God, as in false religious doctrine, and the lie that harms a man in spiritual goods is worse than a lie that harms in temporal things only. Lies are mitigated by the purpose to help, and the greater the good intended, the less the sin. In other words, lies that are not pernicious are not so bad as pernicious lies. Officious lies are less sinful than Joko's lies. Officious lies told for the sake of some great good are not so grave as those told for the sake of a lesser good. Thus, it is a less evil to lie in order to save a man's life than to lie in order to take his life. It is less sinful to lie in order to spare another the shock of bad news than to lie for the sake of embellishing a tale. It is a less offense to lie in order to ward off bodily harm than to lie in order to prevent a financial loss. But though lies are unequal in sinfulness, it remains that no lie, even the smallest, such as are called fibs or white lies, is ever justified, even by the greatest good, for a lie is intrinsically evil, and the end does not justify the means. A lie, considered precisely as a lie, seems from its nature to be only a venial sin, for the disorder of using signs against one's mind is not serious, and the harm done society by mere denial of truth is not necessarily grave, 
The case would be otherwise if truth could be denied on principle as a lawful thing. Simulation teaches error, and dissimulation hides truth from those who have no right to it. That dissimulation is generally recognized as lawful is seen from such examples as stratagems, ambushes, camouflage in war, disguises in detective work, and concealment of marriage by couples not ready for housekeeping. Unquote. Now, you can see uh, that this is all very complex, much more complex than Mark Shea would have you believe. By the way, we remember the beautiful story of Judith in the Old Testament. Judith, who is an Old Testament type or foreshadowing of the Blessed Mother, the Virgin Mary, was called, quote, the glory of Jerusalem, the joy of Israel, the honor of our people, unquote. That's a quote from Judith 15, verse 10. And she was called that because she defeated the terrible, mighty pagan general, Holofernes. She did so by tricking the Assyrians to allow her to see Holofernes, and with her great beauty and clever speech, she made Holofernes believe that she was defecting from the Jews to the Assyrians. And so Holofernes celebrated the occasion and got drunk. And while he was sleeping, she went ahead and cut off his head, thus defeating the terrible general of the Assyrian army, and by this she gave the victory to the Hebrews. And you can read about this in Judith chapter 10 and onwards. Now, scriptural commentators are not all in agreement over how to assess morally what Judith did here. I think Bishop Chaloner gives the best comments on the issue, so let me quote that. He says, quote, Some things are related to have been said by Judith which seem hard to reconcile with truth. But all that is related in Scripture of the servants of God is not approved by the Scripture, and even the saints in their enterprises may sometimes slip into venial sins, unquote. And on this point, the fathers we quoted earlier, McHugh and Callan, also speak about this, and they say, quote, It seems that we should regard as officious lies various statements made by Jacob, David, and Judith, unquote. And that's, again, Moral Theology, and it's section number 2392 by fathers McHugh and Callan. An officious lie, we remember, is one that's defined as a lie that is told for a good purpose in order to help or serve another. So in this case, in the case of Judith, it would be Judith lying to the Assyrian watchmen and Holofernes in order to defeat the Assyrians and bring victory to her people. Okay, so um, Fathers McHugh and Callan are saying that this would have to be regarded as an officious lie, okay? So this is the true Catholic teaching about these matters. And you didn't get it from Mark Shea. Imagine that, right? By the way, we should mention here how two Novus Ordo big shot cardinals reacted to the Planned Parenthood videos. For one thing, there was Mr. Sean O'Malley, the supposedly great conservative pro-life Archbishop of Boston, who 
gave what can only be described as a verbal slap on the wrist. On July 29th, he said this. Make sure you're sitting down. Quote, both actions, and, and by that he's referring to uh, abortion and then the harvesting of aborted baby organs and tissue. Both actions fail to respect the humanity and dignity of human life. This fact should be the center of attention in the present public controversy, unquote. Wow. What a stinging denunciation, huh? <laughs> but it got worse. Because there's still Chicago's archlayman Blaise Supich, who was just recently appointed to his post by Pope Francis. Now, Supich is the epitome of everything that is wrong with the modernist Vatican II sect. Okay? Supich said the following, and I'm not kidding. Quote, While commerce in the remains of defenseless children is particularly repulsive, we should be no less appalled by the indifference toward the thousands of people who die daily for lack of decent medical care who are denied rights by a broken immigration system and by racism, who suffer in hunger, joblessness, and want, who pay the price of violence in gun-saturated neighborhoods, or who are executed by the state in the name of justice, unquote. Wow. Mr. Supich, and yes, that's all he is, Mr. Supich has the gall to equate the burning with acid and ripping apart of live children, who can feel pain, by the way, with someone who's suffering because he has no job or because he encountered problems with the American immigration system. And he equates it with the just execution of convicted killers. This guy is a dirtbag. Thank God that he's not actually the Archbishop of Chicago, or even a Catholic, but only a layman in a fancy costume holding a position in a modernist sect. Supich is so bad, even Mark Shea can't stand him. And that brings us back to where we started. Mark Shea's comments on the Planned Parenthood undercover videos. Let's summarize, ladies and gentlemen. Let's summarize. If the pro-lifers, the ones who exposed Planned Parenthood, the ones who did the undercover videos, if the pro-lifers lied, which is not necessarily so, but quite likely, if they lied to be able to secretly record and expose the horrific atrocities committed by Planned Parenthood, then that was wrong and not justifiable. However, it was most likely only a venial sin and it is nothing to get bent out of shape over. The guilt of the sin is lessened by the great good obtained, and of course it pales in comparison to the heinous acts confessed to by the Planned Parenthood people in the video. To focus on the pro-lifers lying to, not about, lying to baby killers in order to expose them as a greater evil than the hacking to death of children is absolutely despicable. But I guess it's not surprising considering that it's coming from Mark Shea. We gotta take a break. Trump. 
Tradcast. Ignore this podcast at your own risk. Tradcast is a production of NovusOrtoWatch.org. We watch the Vatican II Church so you don't have to. Go to NovusOrtoWatch.org, NovusOrtoWatch.org, and see for yourself that the Vatican II Church is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. We're back. Second segment. In this portion of the program, we're going to talk about Bishop Richard Williamson and his comments on the new mass, so-called, the Novus Ordo Mise of Paul VI. And later, we're also going to talk about Bishop, quote-unquote, Athanasius Schneider and his recent informal endorsement of the Society of St. Pius X, and how Michael Voris ended up with lots of egg on his face because of that. So first, Bishop Williamson, in case you didn't hear about it, Bishop Richard Williamson, formerly with the Society of St. Pius X, and now on his own with the so-called resistance group. That's all the clerics who left the SSPX because the SSPX was no longer SSPX enough for them. Well, he gave a talk in late June, I believe it was June of this year, in New York, and he was asked by a lady in the audience whether it was ever permissible to attend the new mass, the modernist worship service of the Vatican II Church. Now, Williamson's answer was nothing short of hysterical. He talked for 10 minutes and essentially said, yes, no, maybe, and don't ask me. I'm not kidding. Right? He was all over the place, and what he said was so contradictory and inconsistent that we decided to take the video that was, that was made of the entire conference and uh, also this, this Q&A session. And so we, we decided to take that video and include our own subtitles, okay? our own subtitles with uh, critical commentary uh, to be displayed along with his words as he's giving his lengthy answer. If you haven't seen that yet, please do have a look. We've got the link up for you on tradcast.org. Look for episode number 007. Uh, We have also published several blog posts on this with our own comments and also one with Bishop Donald Sanborn's refutation of Bishop Williamson. And you'll definitely want to take a look at all this because it is very revealing about the frightening theology used by Bishop Williamson to argue his case. Williamson bases his entire case 
on what attendance at the Novus Ordo Mass can do for you. God is left entirely out of the picture. Never mind it's the official worship of a false religion, a dangerous and non-Catholic liturgical rite that is intrinsically offensive to God, all of which Williamson supposedly believes. In his answer, Bishop Williamson argues all of the following and more. Listen closely. He argues that the new mass is a key part of the new religion and the worldwide apostasy. He says, stay away from the new mass. He says, you can go to the new mass under certain circumstances. The new mass is wrong as a whole. If it nourishes your faith, you can go. And he says that this this seems to be the absolute rule of rules. If it nourishes your faith, you can go. But then he also says you cannot cause scandal by going to the new mass. And he says that Archbishop Lefebvre said that the new mass is a danger to the faith. There are Eucharistic miracles in the new mass, he claimed. The new religion of which the new mass is a key part is dangerous and strangles grace. The new Mass can build your faith. The new Mass does harm in itself. And then he says, decide for yourself. Or ask a priest you trust and heed his advice. Maybe. The rite of the new Mass was designed to get you away from the Catholic faith. He also says, use your own judgment if you can trust your own judgment. And then he adds that all of this is just his opinion and that uh, it's almost heresy. Mm-hmm. And he ends it by saying that maybe all of this should have been said in private rather than in public. Are you dizzy yet? <laughs> yes, so definitely watch our video on this. You definitely want to see the subtitles um, we superimposed on the video as he's speaking. And you'll also want to read our blog posts on this, uh, as well as uh, what Bishop Sanborn wrote. Oh, and, and, and here, <laughs> here we should say something about our critics. My goodness, Novel's Auto Watch got slammed on a forum that shall remain nameless, okay, accusing us of attacking the bishop and not linking to the full video, but only that particular question and answer part. And uh, we were also accused of just trying to push a set of a agenda and whatever. Let me say something about that. First, to say that we attacked the bishop is an entirely emotional argument and actually irrelevant to the point. Was it an attack? Perhaps so. But this just begs the question whether the bishop deserved to be attacked. And honestly, as we've shown, he most certainly did deserve to be criticized. And truth be told, we criticized him on substance, okay? On the merits of his arguments. We did not attack his person. We actually pointed out the frightening errors in his shoddy theology. Okay? Now, you can call this an attack or whatever, but it's actually irrelevant. That wouldn't make our criticism wrong. 
Secondly, the claim that we didn't link to the full video is only half true, because although we did not link to the full video of the entire Williamson talk in our video response, nevertheless we did link to the full video on the accompanying Novels Are to Watch blog post. Secondly, the claim that we didn't link to the full video um, is disingenuous because there is nothing in the remainder of the video that changes anything the bishop said in the 10-minute answer he gave to the question about the new mass. Okay, True, the question came up one or two more times uh, later in that question and answer session, but if anything, what Williamson said there made it worse for him. Okay, certainly not any better. So I would suggest just check it out for uh, yourself. Okay, just go and uh, look at, listen to the, the entire video, the entire two-hour conference, and listen very closely to the question and answer session, and you decide if our criticism has merit or not, or whether we, we left anything out that uh, would change things, you decide for yourself. Okay, we're, This time, we're definitely putting the uh, full link to uh, the video right there on tradcast.org for this episode, okay? Episode number seven. And just see for yourself and see if you agree that our criticism has merit and that Bishop Williamson is putting forth a catastrophic, subjectivist, Protestant, modernist theology to defend his idea that you can go to the Novus Ordo Mass under certain circumstances. Tradcast. Finally, our last topic for today. Let's take a look at what has recently happened over at Church Militant, Michael Voris's intrepid organization that is not even allowed to call itself Catholic per the uh, modernist Archdiocese of Detroit, which they recognize as the, their legitimate Roman Catholic diocese. We like to call uh, Church Militant Church Disneyland, and you'll see why in a minute if you're not already aware. For a while now, Michael Voris, who is the host of the popular Vortex program, <laughs> we like to call it the Ignortex or the uh, Distortex, Michael Voris has been pushing Mr. Athanasius Schneider, a Novus Ordo auxiliary bishop over in Kazakhstan, as basically the, the last great hope of the church. Right? Because Schneider is a very traditional-looking conservative in the new church, and he's exactly the kind of conciliar bishop that church militant likes to promote. Now, just a month or so ago, Voris had this big exclusive interview with Schneider that he offered to people who have a paid premium membership with church militant. Now, Schneider is no doubt sincere, um, I don't want to question that at all, but of course that's really not relevant to the fact that he is part of the hierarchy of the modernist church, and uh, he is still a layman because ordinations in the Novus Ordo religion are in fact not valid and have not been since 1968. We'll give you a link for that so you can uh, see this for yourself. 
And of course, all sincerity and conservative inclinations, whatever, all the sincerity in the world cannot change that. Schneider is a modernist layman. Now, Michael Voris has recently been attacking the Society of St. Pius X and their sympathizers left and right. The SSPX is in schism, Voris insists, and a Catholic cannot have anything to do with them. Now, Voris is actually correct with regard to the schism charge, because if Francis were Pope, then yes, the SSPX would indeed be in schism because they fulfill the criteria for schism. But that's not important at the moment. We're not criticizing Voris for considering the SSPX schismatic. Instead, what's really amusing here is that after all his huffing and puffing against the SSPX, and after all his promotion of Bishop Athanasius Schneider as the the big, bad, conservative, tough guy of, of the church militant, Schneider now came out in an interview with Adelante La Fe and said that the Society of St. Pius X seems Catholic to him, and he knows of no weighty reasons for why they should be denied full canonical recognition by Rome, especially also in view of today's ecumenical climate. To him, they should be accepted as they are. In other words, they should just be given canonical regularization without having to change anything in their positions. Oops, bad news for Michael Voris, for sure. Looks like the Cossack bishop didn't get the memo on the SSPX schism. <laughs> well, Church Militant had practically no choice but to cover the story because this latest Schneider interview was being promoted quite heavily at Rorati Celi and other sites. The United States District of the SSPX was also quick to publish the exciting news that Schneider said that they have the mind of the church, which is interesting because we've noticed that the SSPX always gets chipper when some modernist hierarch recognizes them as Catholic. See, if the same modernist bishop had said that they are in schism, they would have just denounced him as yet another modernist, and that you know, whatever he says, it doesn't matter, and he's wrong, and whatever. So, to get back to uh, Church Militant, what did they do? How did they cover the story? Well, they really, really spun it and made it look like Schneider was simply expressing his hope that the SSPX would soon renounce its schism. And then Church Militant gratuitously inserted a comment into their report, a comment from an American Bogus Ordo bishop, Mr. Robert Morlino of Wisconsin, who said that Catholics can't have anything to do with the SSPX. Well, that's fine, except it has nothing to do with the Bishop Snyder story that they were supposedly reporting on. Well, the story doesn't end there yet, because then Michael Voris... Clearly embarrassed and upset at Schneider's quasi-endorsement of the SSPX, asked the Cossack lay bishop for a clarification, which Voris then happily published and trumpeted on his website. But even this clarification didn't really help Voris because Schneider didn't say anything different, and he certainly didn't say that the SSPX isn't schism. 
Christopher Ferreira, a neo-traditionalist commentator at The Remnant, who was really a favorite target of ours, um, he slammed Forrest for his spinning of the Schneider interview and the Schneider clarification and said, quote, Say goodnight, Mr. Forrest. No one but the dwindling number of the people you can still fool takes you seriously any longer, unquote. Which is exactly right. And we predicted this from the beginning. Um, we predicted that Church Militant was going to lose all credibility when Michael Voris began to spin Francis into a traditionalist, conservative, tough, Catholic pope, even though the facts were telling a different story. Now, here we should probably say something real quick about the remnant. Okay, Whenever the question of the SSPX schism comes up, it, you know, is the Societies in Pius X in schism or not? And of course, this would assume that Francis is actually the Pope, but let's just assume that for the sake of argument. Whenever that question comes up, to my knowledge at least, Ferreira and Matt never address the question, which would be the reasonable thing to do, of whether the Society of St. Pius X fulfills the criteria necessary for the canonical crime of schism. You, you would think that if you want to find out whether somebody is in schism, you look at what schism is, and then you see if that organization fits the criteria. And they never do that at least not to my knowledge. And it is actually quite obvious why they wouldn't, because the SSPX fits the criteria to a T. Instead, what they do is, and this is very clever, actually, they always focus on who says that they're in schism or who says that they're not in schism, right? And so when that question comes up, you'll always hear them talking about, oh, Cardinal Cassidy said this and, and uh, whatever, Cardinal Castrillon Hoyos says that and, and, you know, Pope Benedict said this and John Paul II said that. And all they ever do is talk about what different people, different authorities, real or imagined, say about the issue. But that's ultimately not really relevant. The question is, what is schism, and does the Society of St. Pius X meet the criteria? My goodness, what a circus. Anyway, we've got all the relevant links up uh, on the Tradcast page on the whole SSPX Michael Voris uh, spin thing as well. And now you know why we call them Church Disneyland. And this concludes episode number seven. Hope you found this program informative and helpful. If you would like to support it financially, you may do so at tradcast.org. But don't worry, it will always be free. Until next time, may God bless you.
Tradcast. <laughs>